Hi, this is Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large for MMM, and welcome to the MMM Podcast for the week of October 18th, 2021. Currently, Medicare is barred from leveraging its vast scale in the insurance market to set prescription drug prices. But supporters of Medicare drug negotiations see the Democratic-backed budget reconciliation bill now being discussed in Congress as a means to reverse that policy. They're still hoping to muster enough votes to pass the spending package, while their political rivals across the aisle generally aren't too keen on it. But if there's one thing both supporters and opponents aren't taking lightly, it's the fact that lowering prescription drug costs is hugely popular among the American public. And that's drawn millions of dollars worth of ads from groups on both sides of the issue, from pharmaceutical companies and their allies to consumer groups. The provenance of some of that money, however, isn't always clear. This week on the podcast, the ethical and campaign finance implications of how the pharma industry is seeking to shape public opinion in the Medicare drug price negotiation fight. And joining me to talk about that is Danielle Caputo, Legislative and Programs Counsel for the Cross-Partisan Washington Watchdog Group, Issue 1, whose goal is to help advance democracy reform. Danielle, welcome to the MMNM Podcast. Hi, Mark. Thank you for having me. Of course, it's a pleasure to have you. And uh, Danielle has familiarity with the players and the tactics used by political advertising within the pharma industry. And we'll also talk about her organization's efforts to pass legislation that would make political ads more transparent. But first, some housekeeping items. A virtual event, MMNM Convene Mental Health, <clears throat> excuse me, is slated for October 27th. We're inviting medical marketers to join in the discussion with leaders in the realms of pharma and biotech to plot out a post-pandemic course to ensure that the issues around mental health, including the destigmatization of depression and newfound awareness of barriers to care, don't fade with the return to something approximating normalcy. And second of all, the second annual MMNM Media Summit is happening live and in person on November 11th at Convene Rockefeller Plaza in NYC. Join MMM and a who's who of health media experts for a candid discussion of the industry's most compelling issues, point of care's post-pandemic pivot, audio's oral appeal, health-friendly evolutions in out-of-home and tech, and much more. And you can read about both of those events or register for them on the events page of our website, mmm-online.com. Okay, back to the interview with Issue One's Danielle Caputo. First, let's do some level setting here and define the issue. Medicare negotiation refers to the federal government bargaining directly with pharmaceutical companies on the price of prescription drugs. And the push for a drug pricing bill is by no means a new one. Danielle, what's different about this time around? Why do lobbyists think that they might have what it takes to get it passed uh, this time? Sure. So I think this time the main thing that's different is we have the Democrats controlling both houses of Congress as well as the executive branch with the president. And so they have made this, you know, one of their big issues. They've they've spoken about it. Uh, many members of Congress campaigned on it. And President Biden himself has made many statements talking about how he wants Congress to take some action on this. So, you know, now's the time. This very rarely happens where you have one party control um, the House, the Senate and the presidency. And so this is really the opportunity to get these sorts of issues that are, you know, primary to Democrats concerns passed. Sure. Uh, it is a, a rare uh, moment in political history, at least recent history. And as we said at the top of the broadcast, this is an issue that enjoys broad public support. According to a new Politico Harvard poll, Americans support letting the government negotiate drug prices above all other major priorities in the infrastructure and social spending packages now before Congress. And a recent poll from KFF shows that almost 90% of the public supports the government's ability to negotiate for lower drug prices. So the political stakes are really high. How has that support galvanized lobbyists on both sides of this issue? Sure. So when there's 
a hot button issue and broad support in the public as there is with this, that's oftentimes when the stakes are the highest, right? Members of Congress will hear from their constituents um, and their constituents will say, this issue is very important to me, you better do something. And when corporations, in this case, the pharmaceutical industry hears about that, they say, oh, wait a minute, like, this is an opportunity that Congress might actually act because, you know, the stars have aligned. So they come out with their lobbyists and really try to defeat that narrative and come out in opposition, which then spurs on the lobbyists who are in favor of the reforms who say, oh, no, our narrative is getting overtaken by these lobbyists. We better go send our own lobbyists. So um, by trying to counteract all of the narratives in and of itself, it creates a little bit of a a Russian doll situation and everyone comes out of the woodwork. Sure, sure. And uh, coming out of the woodwork, uh, they are indeed. Um, of course, the pharma industry, which would like to see the proposal disappear, is rallying its defense over the summer. Uh, Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, or pharma, debuted a TV commercial with a type 1 diabetes patient on Medicare. Bio, which represents the biotech industry, has also weighed in. But it hasn't always been clear uh, where opposition to Medicare price negotiation is coming from. For instance, a patient group called the Partnership to Fight Chronic Disease launched a cable ad that's been seen on TV screens in Washington, D.C. and 13 states, including Arizona, Colorado, and Georgia. Undisclosed in the commercials is that the partisan part partnership excuse me, to fight chronic disease has extensive ties to the lobby for major pharma companies, pharmaceutical research and manufacturers of America as well. And the group shared an address with pharma and the two have shared lobbyists, according to an investigative report in Roll Call. Danielle, what's wrong with this picture? So this is a great example of a larger problem that we have kind of in every political issue area with so-called dark money. So dark money is money that is given to organizations that are 501c4s, which are nonprofits, but they are not required to disclose their donors. So what's what this does is it allows people to create names of organizations that sound relatable or sound like they're in favor of the public. You know, the example we like to use in our work is Americans who love America, right? And you could have people who do not love America, right? And in fact, are trying to destroy it behind that. But people will hear, the public will hear these commercials and be like, oh, well, I'm an American and I love America. And in the same way, you, you see that with the partnership to fight chronic diseases, because it's like, who opposes, you know, fighting public disease or chronic disease within the public? So what happens is people hear these names and they think that these groups are on their side or their public opinion fits theirs. And then when they hear criticisms, they, they really take those to heart, right? And they, they really think about it and say, oh, well, if they're opposed to um, chronic diseases and they're trying to fight them and they're saying that this is going to be harmful, maybe we're wrong and maybe we need to rethink our position. And that's what's so dangerous right now with these dark money groups is that when we were founded, we were founded with the idea that the marketplace of ideas is incredibly important, but we've kind of bastardize that position and having a part uh, a true marketplace of ideas because what we're doing is instead creating a system where you don't know who's speaking to you so how can you give current or proper weight to what these people are saying which was always the intent you know justice scalia had written a famous concurrence that basically said that groups that were trying to hide and, and individuals who are trying to hide behind their groups to say certain things um, lacked a display of civic courage and that that was problematic to him. 
And that's that's essentially the problem that has continued today and is continuing um, with this pharmaceutical debate. Mm-hmm. And issue one has tried to pass legislation that would address these so-called AstroTurf operations. And you were part of that effort. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So we um, have advocated for the last few years for a bill called the Political Accountability and Transparency Act. Most recently, it was introduced in 116th. It has not yet been introduced to this Congress. But among other things, what this bill would do would require, it would require super PACs and other dark money groups to list their three biggest donors on ads. And what this does is it basically removes the mask, right? So now you could see behind the curtain and you could see, oh, it's, you know, a pharmaceutical company who would be harmed by, you know, limiting the prices on drugs, or it would be an individual who actually doesn't, you know, love America, the communist association, right, who's trying to uh, front as Americans who love America, for example. And so by having the top three donors, you really get rid of a lot of that secrecy, because what you see in a lot of these dark money groups is that sometimes it's even just one uh, individual or one company or whatever that's making these donations as opposed to, you know, having a lot of people donate a lot of money or small amounts of money. Is that the re- main reason uh, why so-called uh, dark money groups operate that way is they don't want to reveal that they're kind of a lone wolf? Exactly. It basically provides them impunity because nobody knows who they are and they don't have to share it. Um, and so it takes some some really good reporters and people who care about this issue to really go root through and try to find out who's behind this. And I will say, sometimes they are more bold and will not hide and say, oh yeah, we're absolutely doing this. But you know, as an average American, if you're hearing a commercial, you don't necessarily hear the name, go search it, go read all of the articles, you know? And so um, that's really how they've been successful in kind of hoodwinking a lot of America um, into thinking they have good motives. And that's a problem. It's a, it's a problem when it comes to, like Justice Scalia said, you know, for, for civic, the matter of civic courage, but it, it, um, it doesn't exactly facilitate civic discourse, does it? When, when you don't know who's behind a lot of these competing messaging. Uh, let's just take another example, you know, a group calling itself the 60 plus American Association of Senior Citizens, a conservative group that lobbies on senior issues and brands itself as the right alternative to AARP launched an ad on TV and online claiming that such drug pricing bartering would swipe $500 billion from Medicare and that negotiation will result in seniors no longer being able to get their medications. As a piece in KFF pointed out, framing the issue this way is misleading because the $500 billion in savings would be slated for reinvestment in the program. The ad also implies that Medicare negotiation will result in seniors no longer being able to get their medications or that this kind of policy could lead to some new drugs not coming out to the market. Is that second policy implication a possibility? Is there, is there truth to that? Sure. I mean, it's it's not true. Um, I think PolitiFact has themselves uh, found this to be misleading and untrue. And, and this is kind of what's so problematic too, is that people are being lied to directly. And instead of recognizing that they are being lied to so that large corporations can make more money, they think that, oh, I know AARP. I know that they generally, you know, have given me discounts and have helped me save money and and lobbied on my behalf to things that are positive for me. And now they're hearing, oh, you know, maybe I identify as a conservative. So the right alternative so they must be more aligned with me. And now they're they're 
basically spreading lies and untruths in order to convince people to oppose something that would be beneficial to them. And again, if you don't know who's actually saying this and why they're saying it, then you take that to heart and you think that they are actually on your side. And, and we should point out that the pharmaceutical and health products industry is by far the top lobbying spender so far in 2021, as is usually the case, according to the Center for Responsive Politics. Uh, would you call this a bellwether year as far as farm industry lobbying goes? You know, How does it compare to, to previous years? I hope not. <laughs> I, w- I hope it is not a bellwether year. Last year, uh, the pharmaceutical industry already broke its lobbying spending record. They spent just an absurd amount of money, $306 million, which was the highest of any um, industry. What was crazy to me in doing more research on this was that the electronics industry, which was the second highest spending on lobbying, only spent $157 million, so half as much as the pharmaceutical industry. And this year, in the first quarter, the pharmaceutical industry has already increased its spending as compared to the first quarter uh, last year. So I really hope not. I would not like to say that it is a bellwether for what's to come and maybe that this is the crest and uh, we'll see some decreases from there. But uh, that is just my hope springing internal. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we should mention that the uh, total spend so far by the industry is 171 million, over 171 million dollars spread amongst 433 clients and 1,469 lobbyists. And so I'm not sure if that means they're on pace to break next year's or last year's record. It could be could be that they're getting close. Also, among the multiple groups that have announced seven-figure ad spends on drug pricing are advocates of Medicare drug price negotiation power. These include, as we talked about, the AARP, which debuted a seven-figure national TV, digital, and radio ad campaign in August. No mystery as to who's buying them, of course. Uh, Patients for Affordable Drugs Now, which launched uh, two campaigns, and Protect Our Care, uh, which launched a seven-figure campaign of its own, advocating for Medicare to be able to negotiate uh, those drug prices. Anything controversial to talk about there? Yeah, so I think that this level of spending, right, seven-figure ads on drug pricing, it, it really goes to show, too, just the amount of money that's involved in this and how difficult it is for average Americans or for small groups, right, who aren't backed by billionaires to get the word out and and give their opinions, right? So uh, I talked earlier about the marketplace of ideas. What kind of marketplace is it if the only two people or only two ideas you're hearing are from the two wealthiest on either side, right, um, opposed or in support of And so it's not to say that their message isn't important or that any of these messages aren't important or that they shouldn't be heard, but just the weight that they are given because the amount of money they're spending is difficult and it's concerning and it really makes it hard for an average citizen to feel like, one, their voice is heard, but two, that they can have individually an impact on how Congress acts because, you know, most people can only dream about spending seven figures in a few months, let alone, you know, to regularly do this every year and get up to that 300 million you know, number that we've talked about. Sure. And and what's the kind of the cure to sort of level the playing field when we talk about the marketplace of ideas? Yeah, I, I think at this point, transparency is, is really, I don't want to say it's a silver bullet, but in a lot of ways it is. The American public is not stupid. 
if they see who is behind these things, they can then give it appropriate weight and can determine their what they think about it. I think when it comes to choosing our representatives, also how our representatives, um, you know, beyond this, which is a little beyond the scope, but the amount of money our representatives receive from pharmaceutical industries, right? That also um, stacks against the individual. So if they weren't able to take as large donations or if they weren't able to sit in a room alone with pharmaceutical companies and have a seat at the table, I think all of those things would would really do a lot in increasing uh, the power of the individual and also increase trust in our government. When it comes to the Medicare drug price negotiation bill's chances of passing uh, the devils in the details, last year the House passed a bill, H.R. 3, that included Medicare negotiation powers, uh, but the effort never made it out of the then Republican-controlled Senate. And as for this year's effort, the drug pricing plan could be in peril as some centrist Democrats uh, spar with Speaker Nancy Pelosi over the scope and details. Democratic leaders are now considering scaling back a House leadership-backed proposal or dropping it entirely from the $3.5 trillion social spending package. While some of the more extreme pricing measures likely won't pass, some industry pundits feel that the drug industry uh, may want to brace for some change there. Danielle, anything that you want to expand upon or your closing comments here? Yeah, I think that drug pricing is something that affects almost every American and likely will affect every American at some point in their life. And so this is really a good example of just how high the stakes are in in how our Congress acts and decides to to do things, even as far as how like we see ethical, these sorts of ethical issues and these transparency issues that this is an important issue. People should care about it. People do care about it. And instead what has happened is um, our system has allowed for the loudest or, you know, moneyed voices to to really direct this conversation. And it is now up to Congress to decide if they want to uh, prevent that from happening again. Well, thank you for helping shed some light on this uh, important issue, Danielle. Thank you so much, Mark. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. That was Danielle Caputo of Issue One. Thanks again for joining me, Danielle. And uh, that's all the time we have. If you enjoy this podcast as much as I did, please give it a, a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe and help others discover the show. The MMNM podcast is produced by Deborah Stoll, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. We're out every week. Catch you next time, everyone. Take care. Thank you.